Ah, the lowly tricycle. How many remember? Yeah, some of you got off of it quicker than I did. I really have really strong memories of the tricycle, actually. It was, uh, it was sleek, it was bold, it was solid, it had superior balance and handling. It wasn't quite as sleek and sexy as the big wheel, you remember those, but it was steel and it had solid rubber tires. You, know, you couldn't wear the front wheel completely flat like you did on the big wheel. It was just, it was just all around a better, a better vehicle. I don't know if you've heard of the modern tricycle lobby. No? Okay. Yeah, you know, these things have a way of just creeping up when you don't notice, but there's a modern tricycle lobby. They, they insist that parents who let their kids have more screen time than tricycle time ought to have their children's removed from the home and then go to tricycle re-education camp. Yeah, right? It's, it's mind-blowing. Uh, and, they're, and they're fighting hard against the internal combustion engine. Uh, they would like everyone to actually go back to the tricycle. Not a bicycle, mind you. Bicycles only have two wheels, and this, that's, the, that's the number of the devil. Uh, three is the perfect number. It's, ask any tripod where you get the most stability. It's not a bipod, is it? It's a tripod. I'm being silly, and I think you probably caught that. If you didn't catch it, apologies. Uh, my wife always says I lie poorly. Uh, so... And it's always a joke, by the way, when I'm lying to my wife. It's always just to get her uh, goat. And then she goes, I knew, I knew you were lying. But um, anyway, I'm trying to make a point. I'm actually trying to make a point here. And that is a point which probably some of you are already on to me because you've been tracking through the book of Colossians and you can kind of see where this is going. There was a lobby uh, in Colossae. And I think that's fair to say, fair to call some kind of a lobby. It was a movement, it was a group, and what they were trying to do is very similar to if somebody came along and said, we're all going back to tricycles because that's the best and nobody got hurt on a tricycle and, and you get a good workout. You know, it was like, we're going back. Now, for some of them, it was going back to the Mosaic Law. It was going back to observing the ceremonial law, the Torah, and so forth. For some of them, uh, others... I think when Paul talks about elemental or elementary spirits within the context here, that he's perhaps also thinking of, of the pagans, and they're going also back. So both of them together are kind of trying to turn the clock back prior to Christ. And uh, there's no one single word that I could think of that actually effectively describes that combination. Paul would talk about the circumcision group, and the circumcision group, when he used that term, meant those that were specifically Jewish pushing circumcision. They were of a pharisaical background as they arrived at their, at their faith. Here he means more than that. He means more than just those that had a pharisaical Jewish background. He's all, there's also this weird mystical thing that's coming in there and combining with it, with the elemental spirit picture. So really it's its own unique thing. So I'm going to call it the tricycle police today. Yeah, every time you hear me say tricycle police, just understand I'm talking about that group that's trying to turn everything back really prior to Christ, whether they know it or not. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, you already have the, the big idea. It's in, the, it's in your bulletin there for you. Don't submit to the tricycle police. Don't submit to them. There are four reasons why we shouldn't do that. Let's look at the uh, first verse of our passage, verse 20. 
If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So the first reason not to submit is because we are dead with Christ. Notice he begins with a rhetorical question here. The basic gist of the rhetorical question is, if you died to those things, why are you acting alive to those things? But it's not, a, it's not a question that he's really looking for a response. Uh, well, here's why. Or he, no, he, it, it's, a, it's a rhetorical question. It's basically saying, do not submit to them. You are dead. Don't submit to those things. To what had they died? Well, it says elemental spirits. And we've seen before, this is a Greek word. It's, it's stoicheion. Uh, it, it means the basic elemental principles of the world. It also incorporates elemental spirits, actual spiritual entities. It can mean all these things. I think it kind of means them together here. It's, it's the spiritual powers, as you, if you will, that are sort of animating this whole idea of, of sort of the basic principles of religion, where you have to do this and you have to do that, and that's how you please God, is by keeping all of these, all of these various ideas. Paul uses the same word in Galatians 4. Uh, We looked at that last time. Let's look at it again. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back? So remember, it's it's this going backward. How can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Now, if you put it in the context of Galatians, right around that, he's, he's not talking so much about pagan ideas in Galatians. He's talking about circumcision. He's actually, so he's connecting the idea of, of the Torah, of the, the Levitical laws and so forth, into this idea of the elemental spirits. Now, it, I think if you just come right up to Paul and said, hey, Paul, do you think that the whole law was just a bunch of pagan elemental spirit? Now, he would have said, no, of course not. It came from the Lord. But he's talking about the notion of putting people back under that, of, 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 of uh, submitting to the law as, as a means of righteousness. It's like saying, and you remember Paul uses the idea of a tutor for the law? It's like he's saying, hey, you know, you, know, you remember how you learned to drive? Where did it start? You should know by now because I've been talking about it. Where did you learn to drive? Tricycle. The tricycle, baby, that was where it all began, and then you just worked your way up from there. And it's very much, it's elemental in that sense. It's pushing people back to sort of a beginning point where they, where they started. Spiritually, the believer has died with Christ. We have, in union with Christ, we have been buried with him in baptism. You remember we looked at that earlier. We are considered as dead in that sense. We are in union with him all of God's fullness, which is in Christ, flows to us out of, out of the fact that we are in union with him. So the logic goes, if we are dead with Christ in union with him, we should not go backward to that earlier time where we were under a tutor, where we were under a yoke of sort of basic principles, the Levitical law, pagan elemental spirit, whatever it is, we should not be going backward and putting ourselves under those things again. We, why? Because we're dead. We're dead. If you're a slave, 
and you die, are you still a slave to your master? You're like, I never thought about that question before. No, we're not. No, good answer to that. Uh, in fact, the Bible even talks about this. Did you know that? It's, it's not a verse we quote very often, but in the book of Job, Job 3.19, and uh, yeah, he's talking about the grave, death, the grave, as a positive thing. He says, the small and great are there, and the slave is free from his master. I think Job at that point is wanting to be dead so that he'll no longer be a slave to all of his, his suffering, as it were. So he's sort of glorifying death, saying, look, even if you were a slave in this life, you won't be a slave in the next. Do you know who differed on that point? Some of the Egyptians. Yeah, some of the early pharaohs. Eventually the pharaohs said, you know what, this is a bad practice. Let's not do this anymore. Although I kind of think it probably bubbled up from the slave uh, population of Egypt. But for a while, in the first couple dynasties of, of the pharaohs, they would actually have, when they died, when the pharaoh died, they would murder, oh, I don't know, 100 or 200 of his servants so that when they awoke in the afterlife, they could continue to serve him. And that's, you want to talk about a raw deal. That's got to be the worst, right? Like you've slaved away for this guy your whole life. You've never had any freedom. Finally, ah, rest in peace. I die. What happens? I wake up. I'm still a slave to this guy. Now for eternity. That's, that, that, that's a bad deal. Paul is saying that we have died. We have died to the law as a means of righteousness. The ceremonial laws, the purity laws, the feasts, all of those old forms are no longer binding on us because we died to them. We're not, we're not under that yoke any longer. Look at what Paul says to the Romans. He says something very similar. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died, died to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So yes, what is this saying? We were alive to the law. We were under the dictates of the law. We had to perform all of the rituals and everything that had to be satisfied. But we now, in Christ, through union with him, we have died to those things. We are not alive to them. We are alive to Christ. And in that life to Christ... In that life, we are not to thereby, you know, being released of the law, somehow go and live lawless lives or immoral lives. It says we are to bear fruit for God. Yes, we are freed in that we are not under the Sinai covenant, but we are not free from God's moral law. We are still called in Christ through union with him to live that out and to bear fruit. So, Christian, don't submit to the tricycle police. Why? First reason, you're dead. You're dead. They, they, they have, it's just like the Pharaoh, you know, you, you're not going to awake and be a slave to him. You're dead with Christ to these things. You're not going to continue to be alive to them. Yeah? Okay. Second reason, because they are concentrated on externals. They are concentrated on externals. The Old Testament law was good. It was important for the people of God. They were very external, extraordinarily external. You know, you get into some of the things like, like having a fat, uh, a, wearing a shirt or a dress or whatever that's made of two different kinds of materials that was, that was forbidden. And we read those and we're like, what was that all about? Well, what it chiefly was about was separating them from the surrounding sinful pagan people. 
It was about making them different, set apart, so that, so that they would not then join with pagans in idolatry, immorality, and so forth. It had a very separating uh, kind of uh, aspect to it. Also, it had to do with ritual purity, which was teaching them. The law was a tutor. It was teaching them that God is holy. And so if you approach God, which was to go to the temple at that point, if you were to approach God, you ought to be clean. And, and so there were all of these rules that were very externally focused with, with purity. The Pharisees took those laws to an extreme. And Jesus, we see that throughout the Gospels. He's constantly targeting how externalized they have made it. He'll say things like, you know, your whitewashed tombs. You, know, you, you clean the outside of the cup and, and so on and so forth. What Paul writes in verse 21 here fits what he said earlier about the new moons and the feasts and the Sabbaths and so forth. Look at what he says. He's he's describing the the kind of laws that they're putting themselves under. Yeah? So if you want to know what the tricycle police were pushing at Colossae, this describes it. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. So what we're looking at again, as Paul mentioned it earlier, he described that way of thinking as shadows of the substance. Christ is the substance. All of these previous laws, which are no longer binding on the Christian, um, these were lessons in holiness. But by nature, they were external. You would be holy if you didn't touch certain things. If you did touch those things, you were ceremonially impure. You were unholy. You couldn't go for a time into the temple to worship God. If you ate certain things, if, if you so much as tasted of certain foods, you were unclean. You think about a lep- leprosy and how in the New Testament they weren't to touch a leper. That made, why? It made them spiritually pure um, in terms of, of, of uh, approaching the temple. It made them impure. When Jesus declared all, clues, all foods clean in Mark 7, his whole rationale there is that, they were, that those things were external. Look what he says and, and, and see how he makes that same argument. And he said to them, then are you also, he's talking to his disciples, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Now, it could sure make you ritually impure under the Old Testament law, but he's talking about the ultimate reality. He's saying it can't defile you since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. So why, dear Christian, are you not under the, the authority of the tricycle police? Or as I like to say, you don't have to accept what the tricycle police are peddling. Yeah. Yeah, it's because, it's because what the, they, they want to boast in the external, which, which is sort of the heart of hypocrisy. If, if religion is only external, if, it, if, it's, if it's so externalized that it ignores the heart, then, it, then it's not good. It's, it, look, look at what uh, Paul says to the Galatians. He says, for even those who are circumcised, and he's talking about those in the early church that are circumcised, do not themselves keep the law. They can't. But they desire... To have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They want to boast in the external. Look, hey, we got a a pagan that came to Christ and and, well, we got got the necessary flesh cut off. 
Isn't that a good thing? So they were very, very external. True righteousness for the believer does not consist in practicing outmoded external rules and rituals. We are in Christ. Paul has already spoken in this very book about circumcision. Circumcision is of the heart. The very thing, the reasoning behind the whole food laws and how, how they didn't go into the heart. The same is true of, of our spiritual circumcision. It's been done by the hands of Christ through the Spirit. If anyone comes along and tries to force you to outward conformity to rituals, and this could be so many different things. It could be, it could be attached to, to those that want to push Torah observance. This could be those who want to turn people back to various pagan practices. It could be new age stuff. It could be woke. It could be political correctness. And that's a good example right there, political correctness. How external is that? Because they don't care at all what you're thinking. People will say something, it's clear what they think. You know what they think, they just said it. And what's required of them? To turn around the next day and go, uh, no, that's not me. Really? Because it was you yesterday. No, well, that's, it's, but it's not important. Just so long as we hear from you, if, if, if you genuflect and you say what we want you to say, then, then you're back in good graces because it's just external. The third reason, the third reason not to be under, this, uh, under the subjection of of the tricycle police is because they are human. They are human. What they're pushing, that is to say, is human. Let's go back and look at Colossians uh, 21 through 22. Do not handle, do not, that's describing these regulations. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to those things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Now, Jesus frequently faulted the Pharisees, not only because they were very external in their view of righteousness, but he also typically faulted them because they were replacing the word of God with human tradition. Jesus quotes Isaiah 29 in Matthew. Let me just read that real quickly, Matthew 15, quoting Isaiah. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Do you see how he combines the idea of it's external on the one hand, it doesn't get to the heart, and then he basically says you replace the word of God with human tradition according to human precepts. Could Paul speak... And this is, this, is, this is a question that I think is really worth considering because I think it's, it's one of those dividing lines along, you know, people could fall on one side or the other depending on how you answer this question. Could Paul speak of the old covenant as human? Could he speak of it that way? So some people probably would want to say, well, this is probably the pagans he's talking about here. But you know what? If you put people back under a covenant that is no longer binding, then that's you. You're doing that. Because God's replaced that with the new covenant. Yes? Furthermore, most of these people that are trying to force this on Gentiles, the Gentiles were never under that covenant to begin with. So they, they were never even part of it. So you're forcing something that was never even intended for them in the first place upon them. Sort of a double, double whammy. The pe- and if this is hard for you if, you, if you hear this and you struggle with this, let me give you a biblical example. 
It's always the best, right? Biblical, how many think biblical examples are better than like tricycle examples? Okay, all right, I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm, so God's people, they were commanded of God once he rescued them out of Egypt. He was, he was taking them to the promised land, and they were commanded to go into the promised land. And they're like, well, let's send some spies in. So they send the, send the 12. You know the whole story. They come back. Oh, it's a beautiful land, uh, but there's giants. And so what happened? In fear, the people rebelled against God. It's like, no, we are not going into the land. No way, no how. They rebelled, and God punished them and told them that they would wander for 40 years. Do you know what they did next? Because this is the critical factor. God had commanded them to go into the land. They had refused. The next thing they did was they decided, we'll go into the land. Now, what could possibly be wrong with that? What could be wrong with it? God had told them to go in the land, so they should obey God and go into the land. That's what they decided. We'll go into the land. And Moses like, no, don't go into the land. Just like, do not go. Do not collect two hundred. Time to wonder. It's time to wonder. Well, we're going to go in and see what happens. And ah, no, 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 don't do that. And they go in and they just get completely routed. Bunches and bunches of them die, and, and it's just a horrible disgrace and defeat. Why had God not told them? To go into the land? Was that human of them to say, well, we're going to go anyway after God had then changed and said, look, you know, you didn't, you didn't qualify. You're going to wander until everyone from this generation has died in the wilderness. And then I'll take your kids and we'll bring them in. So once God had changed that, that command, going back to the old command was of human origin. It was of human doing. And remember, too, the Pharisees did. They, they, they layered all kinds of human traditions on what had already been, uh, been given to them. Paul says this of their teachings. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. So they look good. This looks good. You, you got all of the pieces there of what people associate with proper religion. And I know some of you really bristle at the word religion. Religion is in and of itself a bad word. Um, and I think too many Christians go, ah, it's a bad word. It's not a bad word, but re false religion, yeah, there are certain things we associate with false religion. False practices, do this, don't do that, touch this, don't touch that, taste this, don't taste that, wear this, don't wear that. And you can just go on down the list. They look good. They appear Wise, but God's word calls them human. They have an appearance of wisdom. Where is wisdom, according to Paul in the book of Colossians? Where's wisdom to be found? In Christ. It's the old Sunday school answer. You can always say Jesus 99% of the time you're going to be right. Huh? Where's the, where, where has all the wisdom and knowledge of God focused itself? Where, where does it reside? It is in Christ and it is it comes to us through union with him anything that takes people away from that away from Christ as the substance taking them back into the shadows to seek for wisdom there yeah is tricycle police kind of stuff you see this in a lot of movements and groups and cults even churches that we, and we have to be very careful about this any, any good biblical evangelical church can go down this Root, if you're not careful, there, there are things that we can start to hold up that are human in origin. 
which can I say really quickly, being human in origin alone doesn't make something bad. Like in the church, there are practices that, that we have just adopted, and, and they're kind of morally neutral. Like, why did we put the chairs facing one direction? Like, it, they, is it bad? No. Is it human? Yeah. Okay. God doesn't forbid it, does he? Yeah, or, or, or where's the rose vase? It's gone. Well, you guys know about the rose vase. What about the 5-2 meal? How many of you go to the 5-2 meal? Okay, you're the good Christians. <laughs> See? This, this, is where, this is where we start to go down the, the wrong path, isn't it? We, 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 hold, we create something that has, that's all well and good in its place, and, but then if we imbue it with two... I'm going to step on some toes here real quickly. I've done this before, though, but what about, what about the altar call? Uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm going to get into trouble here. But no, seriously, I am sure in the last hundred years that more people have come to Christ going forward to the altar, big air quotes there, uh, than probably any other way, or, or at least a lot. You know, you go to camp, you, I mean, I, I've been through that. I grew, I grew up United Methodist, and every time there was a chance to go forward to the altar, I was like going there, and I was on my knees, and I was praying, figuring one of these days it's going to take. And... Um, but you know what? In some churches, if you haven't gone to the altar, if you haven't walked the sawdust trail, your salvation is questioned. Like, well, did you ever go forward? No, I just prayed in the, well, that's not enough then. You know what I mean? See what I'm saying? Like anything that is of human origin, when we lift it to that kind of place of importance, that, that gets into things that, that are beyond the gospel. Finally, the last reason to avoid submitting is because they don't curb the flesh. They don't curb the flesh. It says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So what is Paul saying? He's saying ultimately these things will not work. They won't do the very thing that they were designed to do. They won't help you to overcome sin. Remember that the covenant with Israel had a great deal to do, as we said earlier, about being separate from the nations, about being peculiar and not entering into their rituals. In fact, so many of their rituals made it impossible for Jews and Gentiles to eat at the same table. Well, that had a certain logic to it, didn't it? Like, well, if, you, if I'm not eating dinner with them and entering into polite conversation and all the chit-chat around the dinner table, then maybe, maybe I won't be sort of swept into their way of looking at things. So it kept them ritually pure. The problem is it didn't actually change their hearts. It was good for what it was designed to. It was a good tutor. It taught them about the holiness of God and separation from the world, but it didn't actually change their flesh or their heart. Think for a moment about uh, Simon the Pharisee. Do you remember that guy? Jesus went to his home, and uh, of course he was very, very, very proper, and they were getting into these very intellectual, heady, spiritual conversations with Jesus, I'm sure. And uh, right then, spoiling it all, comes this woman of sin. She comes into there, you know, and she sneaks up behind Jesus, and she starts dumping perfume and, and whatnot on him. And she's crying, and pretty soon, and she's making a whole spectacle of herself. And, and Simon's very affronted by this whole thing. But making it worse, she gets down, and she starts touching Jesus' feet. She's weeping, and she's taking her hair wiping his feet and all that, and, and it's just, uh, yeah, and you remember how Simon thinks in his heart about what's going on there? 
It's like if this guy were a prophet of God, he would know what kind of woman she is. He would know that she is impure and she's infecting him with her impurity. Right? Jesus was in no danger of being made impure by that woman because Jesus was pure of heart. There was nothing in Christ that that would have led him astray by the fact that she in gratitude was at his feet, you know, weeping. But Simon, (laughs) was Simon in the right place? Yeah, Simon better keep those rules because, yeah, I don't think his heart was, was where it needed to be. We like to impose all kinds of outward rules that we think are going to keep us pure. And Christians, we have to be careful about that because, you know, there are things that are just steps of wisdom that we, you know, that, that we can take. You know, the Bible talks about fleeing youthful lusts. You know, see, basically, you know, don't go near her home. You know, that, that certain woman that the Proverbs warns the young man about and things of that nature. But, but by and large, you know, we, we get this idea that if we stick to the rules of the tricycle, that, that we're going to be good and, and we won't sin. And, and that's not true. That's not, that's not true. You know, there, yeah, there are things that you could do, but, uh, but your heart, it, it comes down to the heart. Paul says these religious practices, these elemental principles are ineffective at restraining and indulging of our sinful flesh. So does the New Testament give us no hope that, you know, gosh, if I don't have all these externalized rules, how will I ever remain pure? How will I ever find holiness? Look what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. That kind of says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Remember last time we talked about how Christ supplies his body through all the the joints and ligaments? How does grace get to us? Of course, it gets to us through the gospel. We receive Christ. We come into union with him. And then how do we stay strong? How do we grow? How do we bear fruit? Is it not, to a large extent, the work that Christ does in our lives as we are together Members of the body joined, held together, supplied by Christ working through us. We are strengthened by grace, not by food laws. So, summary. Don't submit to the tricycle police. You are dead with Christ and therefore free of those restrictions. Their rules are external, they're human, and and more importantly, they really don't work. They don't make you holier of heart or give you power over sin. Only Christ can do that. And Christ wants to do that. He wants us, you know, as Paul said to the Romans, that that, that we would bear fruit out of that union with him. Not by keeping various rituals and sundry laws, but by union with Christ and in fellowship with his body. And if you want that righteousness that comes from God, we would just say to you, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn away from human self-made religion. Because the truth of the matter is, if you're not in Christ, that's where you are. 
You're like, well, I'm the most irreligious person I know. Yeah, but you're really religious about your irreligiosity. Every human has some set of rules that they follow in, in their mind or try to follow. Nobody even, very few people consistently actually live up to the rules that, that, they, that they set for themselves. But you're, you know, you're following that. You're going, this is going to be good enough for God. And if he doesn't like it, I'll just, you know, whatever. You know, you got to let go of that, man. You got you got to let go of that. You, you you turn from that. That's called repentance. You turn from the things that you think are are saving you by your own works. You turn away from your sin and you look to Jesus Christ. You believe upon Him, and He saves you. He saves you. He brings you into union with Himself, and in union with Him and with the people of God, He will grow you. So take hold of Christ today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray that we would keep focused on you, that our hearts would be completely and utterly surrendered to you, and Lord, that your grace would work itself out in our hearts. We trust that our hearts have already been renewed and forgiven, and that your grace has filled us. We just pray that the ongoing work of your grace in our lives will bear fruit for your kingdom and give glory to you. And Lord, it would bring you great glory today were someone to turn to you and, and find salvation. So we earnestly ask for that. We pray that you would use us for that, for that purpose, that we might declare the gospel, declare your grace, declare your glory to those that will hear. We ask that you would be honored and glorified in it. In your name, amen.